We're going to read Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from those to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. And we're going to read Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him.
This is God's word. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller. If we've not met, it'd be lovely to do so uh, a little afterwards. Uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin looking at this together. Our great God and Father, we've sung already that our hearts are prone to wander from you. And Father, whether we'd call ourselves a Christian here this morning or not, that is true. We drift, we wander. Maybe we stubbornly walk away from you. And we pray that as we turn to your word this morning, we would hear you call us back. You would move us to turn back to you so that our hearts are those that love you. Please be a work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to spend the month of July then, I think it's five weeks, five Sundays, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 11 of this book, really thinking about our hearts. Dwelling upon that, uh, or thinking, what is it that fills our hearts? Do, do we dwell upon the right things? Do we listen to the right things? Because Deuteronomy is a book much concerned with the heart. I think it's 51 times, there's just the word even occurs. Uh, various places uh, has a certain density. Chapter 6 is one of them. And the call here, right at the heart of this passage, so I shouldn't say that, should I? The center of this passage is probably chapter 6, verse 5, you'd have to say. And I think I'd try to argue with you that this is the central command of the whole book. Chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love him. Love him with everything. Love him over the top. All out. And the love that Deuteronomy calls for is what perhaps you could say best described as a Loyalty, a loyal, consistent, devoted love. Just after Easter, uh, we went away uh, with the family, with some others, and spent a week in uh, northern France. And, um, you know, that time of year, so we sort of slightly hedged our bets and went for somewhere that uh, it could be good. You could have time on the beach, or, of course, the history. The history of that part of the, uh, the world is fantastic. And uh, the weather was not as it is today, so we spent quite a good bit of time uh, looking at the history of the D-Day landings, Operation Overlord, and all the military sites related to that. And there are a lot of museums, and most of them are terrific, actually. They've uh, put a lot of money into them uh, as the years have gone by. And of course, you go to most of these museums, and they'll have the objective history of what took place. And then, of course, a load of subjective stories of Daring do and valor and uh, even the most brave pigeon that they can describe. I mean, it's quite, they go into quite some detail. Some of these subjective stories, animals that have won uh, medals, etc., etc. But of course, one thing that comes out there is the men's dedication to one another. I don't think many blokes in the 1940s were big into walking up to one another and saying, I love you. 
that just generationally, there's a bit of a shift there. We're more, more expressive in 2018. And, and, you know, we were encouraged as men to wander up and say, I love you. Do you love me? Let's hug. And that sort of thing. Less of that in the 90s. It's not a value judgment. I'm just saying less of that in the 1940s. Their love is seen in loyalty. Dying for one another. Not giving up. Spent a week going around these sites, and um, uh, I, I'm denied about it, and uh, checked one or two scenes. But then when we got back, I, I sat down with my well, 13-year-old son and uh, watched Saving Private Ryan. I thought, no, there's a context. We can watch this. And, and for the first time in his life, certainly, when I've been with him, as we sat and watched this film, he cried. Not particularly out of distress, but just so moved by... The sacrifice, the dedication, lives lost out of loyalty to one another, their platoon, to a cause, victory in that war. And I think really that's the call of Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord with, with everything. But love him with loyalty. Let your love be seen in your commitment to him. Let me briefly try to orientate us. Uh, we're jumping in then to this book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Moses is uh, preaching three sermons, really, and he's addressing the people on the fringes of the promised land before they go and inherit this land that God has promised them. And uh, much of the book is Moses telling them how they're going to live or how they should live when they go into the land. And, and the central bit of the book, chapters 12 to 26, are very detailed legislation on how they should live. But throughout Deuteronomy, all the details, the statutes, the laws, the itty-bitty ways of getting into the, the nitty-gritty of how you're meant to live, they're always framed by who God is and what he's done. So Moses will keep saying, you've got to know who your God is, Israel. You've got to remember how he saved you, how he loves you. If you're clear on those things, you, you can love him with loyalty. The second speech is the big one, really, chapter 5 all the way through to 26. We're going to spend the next five weeks in the first half chapters, or here, chapters 6 to 11. And as I say, I think it's dominated by the thought of you shall have no other gods before me, the first commandment, or chapter 6, verse 5, love the Lord your God with everything, your heart, your soul, and your strength. Forgive me for a moment. Uh, I think that is the commandment at the center of the book of Deuteronomy. The translators haven't done us the, the, the best favor here. I hate saying this. But in, in chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 1, uh, these are the commands. It doesn't really say that. This is the command, literally. This is the commandment, chapter 6, verse 1. And at the end, in chapter 6, verse 25, if you're cap- careful to obey all of this commandment, singular uh, in the original. So these two references, the commandment frame chapter six, and at the heart of it is, love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. A couple of other times in particular, key moments uh, in the book, reference to the commandment, singular, one thing. Look, Israel, if you're going to do just one thing, it's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. That is then given detail in the decrees and the laws or decrees, commands. But here's the one thing you've got to get right. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength. That is 
singular, the commandment. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Let's uh, try and break it down in these three ways. Uh, Love the Lord with everything, verses 4 to 9. Then we get a little sermonette on that. Love the Lord with loyalty in 10 to 19. And then there's the great encouragement. Love him because he first loved you, 20 to 25, okay? Love the Lord with everything, 4 to 9. Love the Lord with loyalty, 10 to 19. Love him because he first loved you. Okay, let's look, work through it. First then, in, in verses 4 to 9, Moses will say, love the Lord with everything. Pick it up, chapter 6, verse 4. A profound statement, then the response. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what does that mean? You can translate it in numerous ways. The little footnote will, will tell you that. But essentially, it's probably one of two. Either the Lord is one, there is an integrity to him. Uh, that is, he's sort of consistent and unchanging. Therefore, you can trust him. But probably more likely, the sense here, to my mind, is he's unique. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. There is no other. That is... There is no one to compare him to. But this is not a philosophy statement to sort of dissect. It's a relational comment. There's there's no one like this Lord. And therefore, verse 5, love him. Love him with your heart, soul, and strength. These are some uh, slight overlap to these terms. But you might think of it in terms of like an archery target. The heart, the soul... Uh, and the strength, that the heart is the center, then just slightly out of it, the soul, slightly the strength. There's some truth to that. The heart is at the center. And certainly in Hebrew thought, the heart is the center of emotions and thought, both. Both of those. That's why when you get to the New Testament and Jesus quotes this, he adds in mind, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Because he wants to capture both senses that this would have had to the audience back in Deuteronomy. The heart. But in English, I guess, because it's both heart and mind, we might use some sort of idiom. It is my, it's my heartfelt intention to move to California next week, whatever it may be. Um, because, you know, we've thought about this, we've analyzed the pros and the cons, and, and now we've decided, that, and uh, emotionally, this is what we're expecting to happen. Heartfelt. Do you see what I'm saying? You love the Lord your God with your heart. It's both mental and emotional. You've given it thought, and you now want to go that way. Heart felt. The heart is the center of who you are. The soul, not not in opposition to body here, but more all of me, my entire self. We might, in English, have the slightly twee saying, "I, I, I love you to the tips of my fingers and the bottom of my toes. All of me loves you. Yeah, but that's what he's saying here, that the heart, the core, the soul, all of me. And then strength. Love the Lord your God with all your strength or literally muchness. Strength is a bit of a flat translation. Love him with your muchness. That is, love him with your 
with your stuff, uh, love him with all that you have. Resources is not a bad word, but it's just a boring word. You know, resources are what we have in the office. We have a resource cabinet. We go to human resources. But, but love the Lord with all you've got. You know the woman in Mark 14 who comes to Jesus and cracks open this jar of perfume and pours it over him? And the onlookers say, what are you? That's a year's salary, you fruitcake. You've just blown a year's salary on this man, Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I want to demonstrate my love for him. It's somewhat extravagant. My muchness, my possessions, they're at his disposal. And so what he's saying here is, is love the Lord your God with everything. Your heart, your soul, your strength. Love the Lord with your mental capacity with your moral choices, with your inner feelings, with your desires, with your ambitions. It's a love that is rooted in the heart and demonstrated in your choices. It's a love that's rooted in the heart but demonstrated in choices. So it is saying, if you'll forgive me, It's saying, Lord, here I am. I I love you. And I want to express that with how I dispose of my life. So, Lord, look, here's my stuff at your disposal. Here are my, what have I got? Here are my house keys. And, and, and Lord, they're yours. And and, and here are my car keys. And, and, and Lord, they're yours. And, look, here's, here's my money. Lord, that's yours. Here's my diary, my plans. Well done. Uh, they're yours. Here's, what's this? This is, this is my work. Lord, it, it's yours. It's all yours. It's all yours, Lord. The call of Deuteronomy is not merely emotional love. It's not merely outward compliance. It is rooted in the heart and demonstrated in your choices. And he doesn't want to pull those two apart and, and to caricature. This is a lazy caricature. But a lazy caricature, you can go to some Christian settings, which are very good on expression and, and, and being expressiveness and, and declarations of love. And they're, they're voluble on, on, on when they gather. And yet midweek, their, their behavior in the boardroom is ruthless. Their behavior in the bedroom is scandalous. And there's no real connection between the two. It is expressive, love, wonderful. And the other side, the other caricature, you can get those which are very good at moral compliance. But the last expression of joy in the Lord was back in 1963. And that was looked down upon. Do you see, Deuteronomy says, no, no, love him from the heart expressively, yes, joyfully, yes, love him. And that love will be seen in in how you operate, in what you do, in the choices you make. It's a love that's rooted in the heart and demonstrated in choices. And so Moses declares on behalf of the Lord, these commandments, verse 6, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Again, literally words. I think that just broadens the term. These words I give you today. So yes, commandments, but words of grace as well. These words about what God has done for you, about who he is and how you're meant to reply. All of these words are to be upon your heart. All of them. 
And here's practically what you should do. Verse 7, in the family. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them where you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. There's a word to parents. There's a word to the gills. Joshua needs to have these words impressed upon him. A word to all us parents. But I guess Moses is addressing a congregation here. And so to us, as a group, we should be concerned with how our children are taught. And the next generation, we should be concerned with when young students arrive, age 18, how they are taught. We must be concerned. Family, verse 7. Personally, verse 8. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. I don't think that's literal. Uh, Elsewhere, firstborn children are meant to be tied on your hands and bound on your foreheads. That could get awkward when your son is 29 years old and you've got him bound to your forehead. The point is, take them seriously. Expose yourself to the word of God. Have it around you. Keep coming back to God's word. may sound obvious, but I don't know of anyone who truly delights in the Lord and loves him without spending time with him, without listening to him in his word. I don't think it happens. We had read uh, Matthew chapter 4. How does Jesus remain loyal to God his Father when tempted? He quotes the scriptures. They have clearly dwelt within him. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8. Look, there's no one who has loved the Lord with his heart, soul, and strength, but Jesus Christ. He is the only one. But for us, as we try, we've got to let his word dwell within us. That's verse 8. So look, verse 7, in the family, verse 8, personally. Verse 9, I guess in society, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That is, put them in the public domain. Look, we might dismiss that as a bit over the top. What is this, a call to decorate our houses with with, uh, Bible verses? May not be the worst thing in the world, but I guess his point here is, talk about these things. When you gather Talk about these words and what they mean for you. If you're going to love the Lord, you you must let these words change you, dwell within you, move you. The family, verse 7, personally, verse 8, society, verse 9. Love the Lord with everything. And then secondly, verses 10 to 19, uh, a little little sermonette, uh, really. Uh, love the Lord with loyalty. Verses 10 to 19, Moses just looks ahead and says, oh, by the way, it will be quite hard. Loving the Lord your God this way, you'll find it hard. Advance warning. And in particular, I think you'd say he, he highlights three challenges they'll face in the promised land. So verse 12, he'll say, be careful. Uh, verse 14, do not follow. Verse 16, verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Three little challenges, or big ones really, that they'll face. You might call them affluence, conformity, and uh, hardship. So the little challenge, number one, is affluence, verses 10 to 12. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and be satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Israel, you're about to inherit a fortune. All these good things are going to fall in your lap. And what might happen is you'll think, we are set up for life. And you forget the Lord who gave you all these things. But there's a word of realism, isn't there? When life is going well, when we're healthy, when work is good, relationships are good, it's easy to become prayerless, thankless, easy to become independent. I like the story of Granny. Uh, Granny, one year at Christmas, uh, wrote to her two grandchildren and um, uh, dear grandchild, she remembered their names, but uh, dear grandchild, uh, hope you have a super Christmas. Uh, here's a check, buy yourself something nice, and puts in a check for a thousand pounds to both her grandchildren. What's oh, fantastic? What a granny. Uh, how very generous. Puts this in and sends it off, and uh, both of them ring her up uh, a week, the following week and say, Oh, thank you so much, granny. It's wonderful. I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy that. No problem. The next year, she does the same thing, puts, um, uh, put, dear grandchild, uh, have a lovely Christmas, buy yourself something nice. And um, uh, one of them rings up and says, oh, granny, once again, you've been marvelously kind. The other doesn't. Third year, she does the same thing, puts a check in, you know, have, buy yourself something very nice. And um, neither of them get in touch after Christmas. The fourth year, a little tweak. The fourth year, she sends them both a card. Dear grandchild, have a super Christmas. Buy yourself something really lovely. But she deliberately doesn't put the check in. Well, a couple of days after Christmas, both of them come around to visit. And they say, oh, Granny, thank you so much for the card or generosity. I wonder if you had a senior moment and um, you didn't actually put a check in. Are you noticed? Ah, oh, you've come to visit me. Ah, yes, I didn't really like being taken for granted. And now the money's run out. You seem to remember the source. Please, I don't ask for much. But just remember where the money has come from. Yes, Granny, yes, Granny. Yes. We could be like that. Life be good for you at the moment? Well, don't forget the source of all your blessings. Uh, affluence is a little challenge. Conformity in verses 13 to 15, I think, is the issue. It's hard to resist the flow. Verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples uh, around you. are oh, very hard to resist the culture around you. We hear recently when we interviewed Rory Stain, you know, Nelson Mandela's uh, chief of security bodyguard, you know, clearly a man who was adored Mandela thought he was the best of humanity. But, but, growing up, you say I was a racist. Growing up in apartheid South Africa, I was taught from birth, you are superior. Uh, everyone who's all the blacks, they want to kill you. You'd be scared of them. And when he would say when Mandela was released from prison in 1990, he feared him, thought he was a terrorist, thought he was a charlatan, until he got to know him and then thought, no, this man is wonderful. Hey, you say I look back with shame, and yet... That was everyone around me. I had no external voices speaking into our culture saying, do you not think this apartheid's wrong? 
It's a very striking example. But Moses is saying, look, you're going to enter into a culture now where there are loads and loads of gods. Some people will say, you're the Lord. Well, he's quite nice, but you don't need to follow him wholeheartedly. No, 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 Israel, don't conform. You, you, you need my word to remind you not to conform. And then the third little challenge is a different one, I guess, of hardship, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he's given you. Now let me remind you, Israel was back at Massa in Exodus 17. The Lord had just rescued them from slavery in Egypt, just parted the Red Sea. Israel had passed through. The Red Sea had collapsed back on the Egyptians. And in Exodus 17, the people are at Massa and say, we've got no water. We're going to die. Does God not care for us? It's only a few weeks after they've passed through the Red Sea. They might be thinking to themselves, God's quite good with water. He can part a sea. He can close a sea. If we're short of water, maybe he could provide some. Water is his thing. They might be thinking that. They don't. They say, is God with us or not? Does God care for us or not? And of course, in times when life is hard, we can easily ask the same question. Is God with me or not? Does he care for me or not? Three little things. Moses says, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, heart and soul and strength. Now, look, let me just identify three challenges. Affluence, conformity and hardship. Very striking, isn't it? Both affluence and hardship. You might think the opposite ends of the spectrum. Oh, they'll both challenge your love for the Lord. Three challenges to our protestations of love. Because this is not a mere emotive expression. It's not mere moral conformity. It is a love that's rooted in the heart, demonstrated in how we live our choices. Love the Lord, your, love, excuse me, love the Lord with everything. Love the Lord with loyalty. But then he'll say, oh, love him because... He first loved you, verses 20 to 25. In the future, verse 20, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? You can imagine this sort of scenario. Uh, a dad turns to, a teenage dad turns to his uh, father and says, look, dad, I know that we keep all these rules. And I know that you've told me from birth that we have to keep all these uh, various different details and statutes. Why do we have to keep all these laws, dad? I mean, it's such a burden. It's so sort of annoying. I mean, life would be so much easier, wouldn't it, if we could just, just run with the people around us and, and not bother to, to follow all these things that God has told us to do. Why should we bother? Now, the father could just turn around and say, verse 24. The text could easily jump from verse 20 to 24. Oh, Dad, why do we have to keep these rules? Verse 24, because God has told us to. He could say that. The Lord has commanded us to. So he could, that would be an entirely, an entirely reasonable response. He is the Lord. He is the one who reigns over the whole of the earth. If he tells you to do something, you could do it. You should do it. But that isn't what happens. Verse 20, the son asks, why do we have to keep these rules? What's the point? Verse 21, tell him this. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. 
But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us this land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. In other words, Dad, why do we have to keep all these rules? Son, you need to know. He loves us. We were slaves. You have no idea how miserable it was to be a slave in Egypt. No idea. And he kept us. He rescued us through extraordinary miracles. He kept us for years in the wilderness when we should have just all had an absolutely hopeless scenario. But he kept our people going provided miraculously for us. Son, he's about to give us a land that we simply don't deserve. Son, why do we keep these rules? Well, because he loves us. Because he's so generous to us. Because we owe him everything. So if you know who the Lord is, if you know what he's done for you, you don't ask, why do I have to do this? You ask, how do I do this better? How do I do this more? Son, if you get these rules, you say, love's so amazing, so divine, it demands everything. Not forcefully demands, but I, I see this love and think, I want, to, I want to give it everything. And for you and for me, how much more so this side of the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we don't say literally verses 21 to 23, but we say something, I guess, similar. We say with clarity something like this. Christians, when our children ask us in the days to come, what is the meaning of the ordinances and customs that we observe, then we will say... It's a paraphrase of verses 21 to 23. We will say, we were slaves to sin. I don't know, we got it on the screen. We were slaves to sin, but the Lord Jesus rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and ushered us into his glorious kingdom of light through his death and resurrection. He brought us out in fulfillment of his promises in accordance with his glorious plan of salvation conceived before the foundation of the world. And so the Lord our God commanded us to demonstrate our fear and our love for him by keeping his commands for our good always and as an expression of our relationship with him. It will be a testimony to our righteousness, won by Jesus Christ, if we're careful to show that we love the Lord with all our heart as he's commanded us. And one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as we enter the promised land of glory. Or to put it simply, don't forget what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. If you remember that, you can demonstrate loyalty in your love. Not perfectly, only Christ has ever done that. But you can demonstrate loyalty in your love. If you know that he's rescued you from darkness for his kingdom of light. 
Uh, back in April then, when we went to uh, around D-Day landing sites all around there, uh, one we went to was um, Pegasus Bridge Museum. It's terrific. First place, really, that the um, uh, uh, soldiers landed at uh, sort of 12.01 a.m. on the uh, 6th of July, 1944. Remarkable feat of uh, uh, flight. All these gliders airlessly came in and landed within a few meters of Pegasus Bridge. Key sort of strategic point to capture over a river, over a canal. Uh, anyway, there's a firefighter, the British one, and they, they captured the bridge. And they were greeted after they did so immediately by the Gondre family, a French family who owned the cafe right next to the bridge. And um, by all accounts, the Gondre family were just ecstatic. They'd been waiting for this for years. Finally, they were going to be liberated from this oppressive uh, regime that had made their lives miserable. And so even though it was about 1 a.m. in the morning, by all accounts, Madame Gondre went into the garden and dug up 98 bottles of champagne that she'd buried uh, when, uh, when France had been invaded, all these other sort of fine wines dug up from the garden, and they're popping champagne corks at 2 a.m. in the morning, and the soldiers say, well, look, there will be a sort of firefight, you know, they're going to try and retake this bridge, not too much, Madame. And um, uh, enormous uh, excitement, delight at being liberated. The very lovely thing is if you go back today to the Pegasus Bridge, the same family own the cafe next door, the Gondre family. And if you are a serving British serviceman, Grandma Gondre, who was an eight-year-old girl in 1944, will give you, if you're serving, uh, active serving in the military, your drinks for free which is very lovely. Uh, and she will tell you, I have never forgotten that day and what it means to be liberated. And Moses is saying, look, if you're going to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, you mustn't forget what has been done for you. For you and for me, we mustn't forget what has been achieved by the Lord Jesus Christ, who's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, brought us into his kingdom with all the hope of eternity. Now, if you know that, if you allow that to dwell in your heart, you can love him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, our hearts are prone to wander. We know that. We pray that you would come, take them. Help us to dwell upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who's loved you perfectly, who's died in our place for all we've done wrong, who has granted to us the blessings for all of his obedience. Would we dwell upon his work? And therefore, would you so work in our hearts that we love you? that we feel the demand upon us to give our lives to you, that it is the desire of our heart expressed in our lives that we love you. Would you do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.